0: Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Plain It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? who doesn't play it safe. In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening and let's get started. Welcome back to the Playing It Safe podcast. I hope you're doing okay and you're hanging in there as we continue to navigate through this pandemic. For this episode, as we continue to discuss the topic of perfectionism, I interview Clarissa Ong. Clarissa has been very busy the last couple of years. She is a six year PhD student in the Clinical Counseling Psychology program at Utah State University, and she's currently completing her predoctoral internship at McLean Hospital, Harvard Medical School. Clarissa has written over fifty peer review articles, five book chapters, and has co authored one book, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy in Steps. In this interview, I chat with her about her work on perfectionism. Let's begin. Clarissa, welcome to the Planet Safe podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. I'm so excited to chat with you. I know the last couple of years you have been very busy doing all your research on perfectionists. How did you develop your interest in that area?
1: That's a good question. I'm trying to recall how. I think part of it, so our lab does research in OCD and related presentations, so like trichotillomania, hoarding, and I think one pattern, and I've also worked with people um, who struggle with eating disorders, and I think mm-hmm. a pattern that we observe is this sort of like compulsive behavior where it's this very like rigid rule-based behavior where even if you can actively identify like how it's hurting you, Mm-hmm. you can't help but do it in a sense. Like that's what I mean by compulsive. And so I think just thinking about that pattern and given our interest in OCD, we also, our lab is based in Utah and mm-hmm. there's this phenomenon of scrupulosity, which is more of a, a moral kind of rigid adherence to rules where you're concerned about sinning more so. We kind of like looked at all these presentations and thought that like perfectionism was sort of a way to capture most of the variance in these presentations. I think that's how we landed on it. I think thinking like more broadly about um, how we want to conceptualize intervention in psychology, right? Like if we want to do a kind of matching diagnosis to treatment approach, which Mm -hmm. I don't think many people do nowadays anyway, but it seems like inefficient to be like, oh, depression, you do this manual, GAD, you do this manual. But if we could sort of have this more like parsimonious conceptualization of what people are struggling with and come up with treatments that can very precisely target the function of behaviors, then we were thinking it could make treatment more efficient and more precise, hopefully, in the spirit of kind of reducing, you know, all these therapies that have a lot of overlap and that are all like pretty effective but sort of simplifying things in that way.
0: I remember when I was in graduate school, there were six treatment protocols for social anxiety. Mm-hmm. And there were maybe four for depression. So I think the shift from a manualized treatment to a more process-based approach has made a huge difference. When we're thinking about perfectionists, what do you think is the biggest shift from other models? Maybe you can name three key differences. Oh, three differences. Maybe there are more. It's all good. (laughs) Oh, I'm thinking even fewer.
1: Um, So the... So as far as um, I know, and I could be missing things, the intervention that was tested was CBT for perfectionism, which is not surprising because CBT is the giant, I guess, in the um, psychotherapy world. So in CBT, I think the big difference between kind of traditional CBT, in quotes, and ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, is the cognitive restructuring piece or how we treat thoughts. So I think the, mm-hmm. the common thing between those two is like, we talk about identifying thoughts as thoughts. Then after that, cognitive restructuring would say, okay, let's challenge the thought and you know, see if it aligns with what is accurate or realistic or rational, right? So they're sort of more in that direction. First act would say, for the most part, act would say like, don't even spend the energy trying to argue with the thought. It's just a thought, like it's not even worth your energy, which is the idea of cognitive diffusion. I'd say that's the biggest difference. I think there's also, and I'm not as familiar with the literature, but I think there's also behavioral experiments or hypothesis testing in Mm -hmm. CBT. And I think there are different ways to do that. It could be with the intention of, okay, let's test this so that we can correct your belief, right? Which would be kind of more of the cognitive restructuring land. And I think you could do in a way of let's just like actually track what's happening in your environment instead of following these verbal rules in your head, right? because a perfectionistic mind would say, if you don't study till 4am, you're going to fail the test. And just kind of tracking direct contingencies is sort of, I think, within the realm of act of, okay, like what is actually happening instead of following verbal contingencies, let's see if you can orient to direct contingencies. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some differences there. I'm not sure if CBT where perfectionism emphasizes values as much as act. I'm, I'm sure it's a part of it. I think values shows up in CBT as well. And values is a really big part of act. And I think especially in perfectionism where people tend to have values that are more externally defined. It's like, oh, I value success. And it's totally reasonable that someone values success and what we care about. Is that what kind of your heart values or is that mm-hmm. what... You feel like you should value, and I think the values piece can be quite helpful to clarify um, and to really tap into what do you really care about if you're not trying to strive all the time.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So I think there's that. I I, I think those are, I think I listed three things. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, no, you did. And those are key differences, I think in my work, when I'm working with clients struggling with perfectionistic behaviors, what I see is a lot of holding with white knuckles to high standards. For example, when trying to do values exploration, I may hear things like trying hard. I always have to give my best in every single thing I do. So in your experience, how will you respond to that? Let's say that I have the thought I want this podcast to be as perfect as possible. How Mm -hmm. will you respond to that thought, to that rule?
1: Yeah. So we're talking generally about the rule, like I need to try harder all the time or like I want to produce good quality work, right? And so anything I touch has to be of a certain quality. I was in this workshop I th- with Jesse Crosby, and I think he's mm-hmm. the one who said this, which I thought was a really neat point. Which is like the issue is less so like the rule itself, but more about how we treat the rule, which is mm-hmm. sort of similar, right? It's like there's nothing wrong with our thoughts, is what? How seriously we take our thoughts. So the rule of I want to produce good quality work, or you know, like I care about my work, or I have good work ethics. So I'm very nice of that, or I want to give hundred percent. It's like, that's perfectly reasonable, but how are you interacting with that rule? Are you like kind of so rigidly adhering to it that anything less than that kind of leads you spiraling and, and you know, I guess like leads to a lot of suffering, right? Like I I didn't meet the rule and therefore I'm a failure. Or could you treat the rule more lightly of, yeah, it'd be nice to strive for this. And sometimes I won't do it when the con- when it's not helpful in a certain context. And sometimes I will do it when it's helpful in a certain context. Like maybe, I don't know, like you are preparing for like your parents like 50th anniversary present or something like that Mm -hmm. and you know it's really important to them and maybe in that context it is worth spending a whole weekend like kind of you know because it is important to you and you care about them and you want to show that this is this really means a lot so in that context like maybe it is values consistent to follow the rule in other contexts it might be less so especially when it's taking time away from things you really care about. So I kind of think of it that way, because we don't need to change the rule.
0: Yeah, I think what comes to me is that as a clinician and in my life, I think sometimes it's really hard to just let go, let go of shooting for excellence for everything and learning to accept good enough for most of the things. However, learning to discriminate when it's helpful in which setting and when it's not, that's a very different conversation. So in your work, when you were doing this study, what were the biggest blocks that you may have encountered?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So this is based on my memory. It's been a couple of years. The two that come to mind, one is the values piece that I mentioned, mm-hmm. which is like, so an act, like kind of everything distills to what, is, what are your values, right? Like we can't do anything until we know where we want to go. Mm -hmm. Because if not wherever we go, we we don't know if we're going in a direction that's helpful. And so in order to state our values, we kind of have to be able to make room for uncertainty, make room for fear of like maybe stating the wrong value. We have to be able to treat rules more lightly we have to be able to diffuse from certain thoughts of like oh I I want to be successful or you know Mm -hmm. I want to have a very nice house like and be able to notice like that's a thought and not like a value I think and it requires us to really like get in touch with the things that like are meaningful to us and I think we I think we I think humans experience that a little differently like when we're doing something we really care about I feel like our our experience of being shifts. So the the tricky thing with values is you kind of, you know, all the ACT processes, they they don't exist in isolation. They all depend on each other. Mm -hmm. So how to get to values. Yeah. So I think that that part's tricky. And I think we often get like kind of um, compliance based values, which is like values that are really rules. Right.
0: Yeah. Just to clarify for our audience, when we're talking about clients, we're referring at following all these rules or messages that have been given to us by others, like going yeah. along with my family values or my family rules. Clients is, again, following all those social messages we have received that are not necessarily consistent with how we want to show up in this work. So given that explanation, do you mind sharing, Clarissa, how would you unpack that or how did you work on that with your clients?
1: Yeah, um, that's a really good question. So that uh, kind of ties into the other piece I was going to mention, which yeah. is I think there's a lot of intellectualization or a lot mm-hmm. of like logical, like arguing, and and so I think that the trap of like sort of the coherence trap, right? That as mm-hmm. humans we want things to make sense, and especially if you know, I'm very used to being right. Like I need everything to be right and make sense and be logical. So with values, I think I think first like being careful to step away from the convincing someone, which I think we, uh, it's a very easy thing to do. Even as therapists, it's like, well, oh, no, that's not your value because, and now I'm just kind of inserting myself into the same pattern that is unhelpful, which is the rationalizing or the rigidity to like these words, um, so I think the way to, well, at least one thing that we did to undermine that was kind of just lean on the experiential mm-hmm. side. So if someone says, you know, like I value, um, success and it's really important, I think maybe if you did get success, like, what would that be like? And kind of having people try to contact what it's like to hold this as a value and how, see how that fits with them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think too like noticing the process underlying it so maybe if someone says I for whatever reason I don't know my value or I I can't think of of an example or maybe if they said something like oh like maybe this but not really and I'm just I'm trying to think of an example where it might be helpful to point out like kind of what is this behavior about like it seems like there's some avoidance what is this avoidance about so less about what they're saying but noticing if there's some avoidance of being wrong, mm-hmm. stating the wrong value. I think the other piece with values, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh yes. Okay. So the other piece I think to also watch out for is having values replace rules mm-hmm. without actually shifting the rigidity. Cause yeah, sometimes I would have clients who are like, Oh, like I'm really stressed out cause I can't follow all my values. And that's the exact same pattern. So I think (laughs) watching out for that too.
0: That can be a bit trap, right? Like I have to live this value perfectly.
1: Yeah, yeah. And avoiding being the person who gives them the correct answer, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, is this my value? Like, how do I know if this is my value? And trying to like sidestep that whole, like you ask me the question, I'll give you the answer and then you know what to do. And I think we also have to sit with that discomfort of, just not a, not answering a question if it's not helpful and you know I think it would be could be annoying to a client <laughs> who is very used to getting answers so I think there's a lot of that stuff to grapple with.
0: I like how you frame it this is strong pool for rationalizing and having to come up with something that makes sense And without realizing, we can be reinforcing clients or we can be reinforcing the rule of living values perfectly. One of the things I encounter is that when there is a chronic pattern, a long-time pattern of holding into high standards, is that when something goes wrong, there is all this harsh criticism, right? The mind goes into this place of protecting us from the struggle by being a little bit tough. So in your experience, how did you handle, how will you handle those critical voices, those critical thoughts?
1: Oh, yeah. There are so, I feel like there's so many like ways and directions to go because we're essentially talking about self-compassion or self-kindness mm-hmm. and one of my favorite people who have talked about this is Kelly Wilson. <laughs> and I think, like, very obviously in the act world, that's probably whoever I think so. I think I've sort of, like, been inspired by Slash, like, copied, like, some of the ways he <laughs> talks about it. So I think very, really like, classic, okay, if you were your friend, what would you say? Mm-hmm. I like the approach of, like, just noticing how harsh the critical – Rhetoric is we just say, like, oh, you're so stupid. Oh my gosh, like, why are you always messing up?
0: Mm-hmm. And I think
1: even just taking a step back, it's like, are you listening to what you're actually saying? I think we're so used to hearing it. We don't realize like how cruel some of the language can be. And so I think you just be like, Yeah, okay, listen to that. And I think there can be a lot of perspective taking to practice, right? Not just like, okay, if you're a friend, if you're someone you cared about, can you imagine even saying these words? somebody you cared about but also like when was the first time like you ever had these thoughts and most people say when they're like really small yeah and it's like can you imagine saying that to, like a five-year-old and mm-hmm. it's like no oh wow no no I would never say that but it's like but you did and you are and I think just having people realize too that self-kindness is a choice like we don't because you know it's like oh I don't deserve it or but I don't feel mm-hmm. like it and it's like You don't have to feel like you deserve it. You don't have to feel like you love yourself or have these feelings. It's just you choose to be kind and that's it. So I think of it that way, but I'm sure there's so many different ways.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I think the ones that you mentioned are very applicable and relatable to everyday life. We don't have to get a master's in compassion focused therapy to actually remember that we can make this choice to respond with kindness and gentleness when we are struggling, when the mind is criticizing us. Sometimes my clients feel that self-compassion or compassion practices are too abstract or they are too hippie.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I I worked with adolescents with eating disorders Mm -hmm. for one of my um, practicums and I, we we're talking about self compassion. They're like, "I hate self compassion." And I think that's a pretty common response. Like, "Oh, that's such a waste of time. Yeah. This is so silly." Mm-hmm. Hey, what do you think of when I say self compassion? They're like, "That's isn't that like going for brunch and stuff?" <laughs> and I think, and I think people have like their own ideas because it's kind of filtered into the mainstream, and everyone has their own these like values. Well, when people in ACT talk about values, it means something different from how like most people talk about values, you know, just just take terms and we say it means something. And and I think it's related to this abstract, like versus concrete idea. You mentioned that self-compassion, when we think of this as this kind of amorphous, intangible, glowing orb, it just just seems kind (laughs) of silly. And it, it seems like, what is this about? That when we say, okay, like getting enough sleep is part of being kind to yourself, right? Like eating healthy meals is part of self-compassion because I think people think it has to be this like grand gesture or this something that's just not part of self-care and I think even giving examples makes it more concrete and it's like oh okay like I can do that and I think partly for that reason I tend to say self-kindness instead of self-compassion.
0: Yeah yeah it's incredible how the way that we introduce exercises make a difference. I sometimes talk about gentleness, how we can practice gentleness in this moment. It seems that it's a less loaded term and people, you know, may relate to it in a different way. So if I can just go back a little bit, if a person dealing with perfectionistic behavior is listening to this podcast, what would you tell
1: them today? Oh, that's really hard. It's only one thing. Okay. You can say two. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's just uh, so many. And then, and then I they think are. my like kind of therapist mind goes like, okay, but well, it depends on each person's history and like current context. But I think in general, maybe a more gen- generic one would be, it's this like a uh, quote from Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. where Alice is like lost and she meets the Cheshire cat and she's like, oh, like I'm paraphrasing, but could you tell me where yeah. to go? And the cat's like, well, where do you want to go? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I just want to go somewhere. And the cat's just like, well, then it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think of that as like, if we don't really know where we want to end up, if we don't know what are the things like at the end of our life, right? when we look back, what are the things that we wish we could have done that we did or what are the things we would have been proud to do? What are those things? And I think being really honest about, am I on that path? Or am I just sort of wandering around? It's something I think about a lot. Like I think, oh yeah, there are just so many things I could say, but I guess that's the first one that came to mind.
0: Well, I think it's a beautiful reflection. It's a beautiful reflection to step back and really answer that question. Time goes so fast. Here's my last question. If you were to have a cup of coffee with any person you want, who would that be and why?
1: Oh, Dead or Alive? Yeah,
0: Dead or Alive, yeah. Your
1: calm. So honestly, uh, I like to... Well, so I can give you a a psychology answer and just a personal answer. Choose a personal answer. (laughs) If it's okay to request, I'm making a request. (laughs) That's totally okay. So I like rock climbing. It's something I do when I'm not doing psychology things. And there's a climber I really like. His name is Brad Gobright, and he was in a climate accident. And so he died last year. But, mm. So I guess it's slightly morbid, but if I could have a cup of coffee with anyone, it would probably be him. <laughs> yeah.
0: And what would you ask him if it's okay? I just get super curious. <laughs> what would you ask Michael?
1: Can just tell me about your life <laughs> it's just so fascinating i just want to hear everything about how you became the person that you are why you do the things that you do just like just really lots of yeah just anything really
0: <laughs> i don't know much about him but i will definitely research about his life after this call
1: <laughs> yeah he's a cool person <laughs> or was a cool person yeah <laughs>
0: Clarissa, thank you so much for spending some time and sharing all your expertise and your knowledge on the topic of perfectionist. I hope we can do this again soon.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, thanks for
0: inviting me. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website plainitSafe.zon. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon!